So the question was, what was your favorite year in school? You might have many reasons for having a favorite year, and one might be the success that you experienced in that year, perhaps a relationship with a certain teacher. Um, but, But what if, for example, that we find ourselves in one year so successful that we ask the question, why change? Why not move on? We found a video that we think might really help you understand what is it like when um, fear of failure takes control of God's plan for us. So let me just show you this this little video. Uh, you're going to find it very, very cute. Yes, it is funny, but it is meant to make us laugh at ourselves. We are doing a series on facing the fears that we experience in life. Understand that all fears are not bad. Uh, We're told by scientists that uh, fears are a normal thing of people for survival. We're all afraid of something. When we fear for our survival, let's take an example of Katie King. There she was for the first time in her life on a hike all alone. Mistake number one, Katie. Two bears on her hike last summer. Now, bears are big, they're hungry, they're omnivores. Katie is diminutive and visible and certainly fits the omnivore category. She could be right on their menu. But we are involved in other fears that tend to control us more than they should. Here's an example. One famous Christian author has said, I do not believe in ghosts. But I am afraid of them. Here at Bergen Park Church, we use a diagram that helps us visually describe what it means to follow Jesus in our life. You see, it's a combination of head and heart, what we know and what we trust. But it also includes who we befriend. And when we know and trust certain things and we befriend certain people, we find that it has an effect on our activities or the way we live our lives. You see, this lady knows something in her head. She does not believe in ghosts. But her heart does not check her head before expressing the fear. Now, one of the fears that I continually hear from you and also deal with myself is the fear of failure, the fear of a failed life. That means that for whatever reason, you consider your life and the way you have lived it a failure. Now, I understand failure. In a school, when a test was returned with a bad grade, I would see the bad grade and immediately put my palm over it and tried to slip it into my notebook. Apparently, I was never fast enough because by the next period, just about everybody I knew had already learned about the grade that I'd received. I couldn't hide test failure. I remember facing some tasks and some ministries that I did not believe I could do. But I put myself to them and did the best I could. I realized I was over my head. But a controlling fear, I can't sleep at night about it fear, a fear that shapes your decisions and your actions, these are the ones that we're talking about. Those are the exact fears that our God does not want us to deny, but to deal with. And deal with in our walk with him. And one of the greatest examples of fear of failure 
would be this man character named Joshua in the Old Testament. We are looking at him at the very beginning of his book in the Old Testament where he is telling his story. And here's the situation. Moses, just to be honest with you, is dead. Joshua succeeds him. And Joshua comes in after spending 40 years in the wilderness. It is time to take the land that God has promised them. The current occupants, however, are not planning on giving it away. So between the Hebrews and the promised land that they are to occupy is also the Jordan River, now in flood stage. And we all understand the difference in the flow of a stream or a river uh, here in the United States between May, when it's in flood stage, and October. So we have to ask the question, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? If you fear failure, like many that, uh, that you know, like many, then you know that failure is not always a bad thing, because it's good to be thinking of what could go wrong. And let's be honest: instead of asking what could possibly go wrong, you might ask what could possibly go right. There's a lot of stuff that could go wrong for Joshua. Let me list just a few. First of all, his army is never fought; it's only trained. They've only been in practice. The Jordan could sweep away the entire nation while it's crossing because on flood stage, some many say it was three times wider and running much faster than it is in not flood stage. Uh, they have never had any river crossing training because they had lived in the desert for 40 years. Then you look at what's on the other side. The opponents live in cities like Jericho, where the walls are high and thick. They have only lived in tents for those 40 years. Then look at the, when they look at the armies, the armies that they're opposing are very large, and more than that, they have huge warriors like Goliath, and they're fighting on the opponent's side. In fact, one report was we felt like grasshoppers when we looked at their warriors. So, If Joshua was not afraid, when you look at the facts, he should have been, and he should be asking what could go right instead of what could go wrong. And it's at this very moment that God shows up and he appears to Joshua, and he begins to encourage him in the same ways that God wants to encourage us today. So instead of wondering how we could fail, ask how the one who trusts God succeeds. And beware... The one who trusts God will succeed, but maybe in different ways than the one who does not. This is not about avoiding failure. This is more about succeeding in God's way. Let me read this, the first few verses of Joshua chapter 1, going all the way to verse 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Great Sea, which is the Mediterranean, on the west. 
No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. For then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So really what he is telling to uh, Joshua is, Joshua, here is how you succeed. And part of how you succeed is know your companions and what you're about to face. And know what you've been called to. As it said in verse 5, As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So it's first most important to understand about succeeding God's way and not failing our way. If a fear of failure is controlling you, may I just say very simply, get to God. Be assured of your companion. Your companion is God. Be sure of your call, especially if you sense your call is from God. You see, we all have advisors, people whose words are worth listening to. Our advisors should be those who trust God. They will not always be unanimous in, this, in giving the same advice, but they bring God and his desires into the discussion. And they should be unanimous about guaranteeing God's presence. And they should be unanimous about saying, this is what you should be doing. This is God's call for you. See, this is what they had to be unanimous in. The Jews would have crossed the Jordan. There's no discussion about that. In the same way, we should be uh, very assured and certain, and all of us should agree together, that Jesus' fame and his followers are to expand. There's to be more of us spreading out throughout the entire world. There's no discussion about that. The ones who agree with God's call can be assured that God's presence is with them. But we do not always know how we will find out he is with us. Do a comparison between Moses and, and Joshua. You know, Moses was a very bad general, but a wonderful miracle worker and a great man of prayer. Joshua, on the other hand, is not recorded as having prayed much at all. And he is involved only with two miracles in his entire life. But boy, could this guy lead, and boy, could Joshua fight. And if you were to make an educated, prayerful guess as to how God will use you to expand his kingdom, tell me, what would you say it would be? The promises, when you understand God's call, how he's going to use you to expand his kingdom, then when you do it, he will be with you. You will understand his presence 
when you're doing his will. Verse 6 goes on to tell us, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. So he will be, Joshua, the one who finishes what God began with Moses. Moses freed God's people. Joshua would not free them, but he would deliver them and he would settle them and he would do it by war. So his calling from God as his companion would be to be strong and courageous. He says it three times. He would, he would not assist Moses anymore, but instead he would complete God's call to Moses. That was what Joshua was to do. The land God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be occupied by the Jews and will be done through Joshua's leadership. Second thing, once you know your companion, your call, know what God blesses. It says in verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Again, he says it. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be, there's that word, successful versus failure, that you may be successful wherever you go. So that second tip Second instruction for success is to know what God blesses and you know what? Then do it. He never tells Joshua to train as a warrior. Joshua would do that. There are no instructions for sword fighting or or arrow shooting. No instructions about battle formations that come from God to Joshua. So the second time that he tells Joshua to be strong and courageous, he tells them, do this by obeying God's law that was given through Moses as the spiritual and legal foundation for the entire nation. When are the times that obeying what you know God wants you to do demands courage from you? I think that's essentially what God is telling him. You know, as a new Christian in college, I was amazed at what obedience entailed. I showed up to see you uh, right out of high school, and the very first time I opened the the um, the daily newspaper that it I opened up to the editorial, and the editorial was all about I am a college freshman again, first day on campus, all about why why I was in college, I should have as many sex partners as possible that that was the way I was wired it, it, you know I was totally unprepared for this. I wrote the high school newspaper, and believe me. We never would have had that story put in our high school newspaper. Well, I was uh, totally inundated with the college atmosphere, the college morality and ethics. There were parties that I decided as a Christian I would not attend. Requests from me that I decided to turn down. Groups that I did not join. And as a result, I was ridiculed, even blacklisted and shunned by some. Joshua had this promise from God. To get my blessing, obey my words. Let me say that again. To get God's blessing, obey God's words. Now Joshua did not possess a Bible like we have. He just had a group of priests who continued to recite what God had told Moses. Because God had told Moses to write it all down. But remember that. To receive God's blessing, obey God's word. 
So he goes on in the next verse to tell him what that looks like. How do you find yourself obeying God's word? And God is speaking to Joshua. He says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You see, to obey the law of God means that Joshua and we, we have to remember it. Now, I'm not sure that he had memorized it. In fact, I'm pretty sure he hadn't. But I am sure that he could think about God's law. And that practice is called meditation. Did you know that in your waking life, you're always thinking about something? Something is always going through your mind, no matter what people say about you. No matter how blank your mind, how blank you may think your mind is from time to time, you're always conscious and thinking about something. I carry around this little bookmark on my desk, and it's a perfect time to use it. It says this, and I wanted to bring it to you, but it's in one of the books that I'm reading, and I couldn't find which one. Studies show the Bible sits well with Americans. Studies show that the Bible sits well with Americans. But Americans rarely sit with the Bible. God's success is promised to Joshua and to us when we meditate and then we begin to operate our lives according to it. Meditation will lead to the ways in which we are operational. So now, you, if, if you understand that... Um, what God's success is different than maybe we have to understand that his whole uh, definition of success and failure might be a little uh, different also than the way that we define it in our world. This is what he says in verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. If I get this straight, success with God is obedience to his word. Failure with God is going your own way, deciding you want to do it without God in leadership of your life. Many of you people that you know might hear this and give you a funny look. Why? Because we, we uh, define success more in terms of the ability to be free and make our own choices. So if we use this definition with them, they'll cock their heads and they'll say, are you crazy or what? I have in my hand one of the great management books uh, of the last 30 years, uh, Business Management. And uh, it's written by Jim Collins. He's a resident of Boulder, Colorado. And many believe that he is both a man of great wisdom in the business world, but also in the church, and he has a personal faith in Jesus Christ. He lists several stories of leaders of companies that have become the best in their industry. And each company has made the journey from good to great. Now, it's not that they were in the world's best industry, but in their own industry, They've gone from just a good surviving company to a great company that continues to be a, a industry, industry leader. And most people you know, uh, if you ask them about success, that success is all about skill, wealth, fame. And that's true in technology, the technology industry, sports and entertainment. 
manufacturing, what would they say? Success is measured in these ways, by your by a person's skill, wealth, and fame. They'll be asking these questions. What did you do? What reputation did you create? What did you accomplish? And what did you leave behind for the next generation? I have in my hand now a yardstick. And understand that these are the measurements that most people use to talk about success versus failure. God does not use the same yardstick. The book of Joshua depicts a successful 14-year campaign of Joshua leading his nation to conquer and occupy the land of Canaan. Most would say that he was successful. But God's yardstick says his success is measured in his reliance on God's presence and his constant meditation on God's word. The book also of Joshua also points out the couple of failures of his life. And one of the great ones, Joshua fails to seek direction. And because he doesn't seek direction, he is deceived. It makes it very clear that he forgets to seek counsel and he forgets to pray. And because of that, the people of God protect a tribe that they were supposed to uh, defeat. So let me get real crass here about measurements. How do you want to be measured? And let me talk about the end of your life. Would you rather leave your children a huge bankroll or an example of one individual who followed Jesus even if the cost was high? Which inheritance is the success yardstick you desire as your greatest memorial? Answer that question and you will be telling whether you use God's yardstick or yours. Let me go forward in time because there is another great success story, and that's the success of Jesus. Unless, of course, you're not using God's yardstick. If you're using man's yardstick, you might say that wasn't successful. Luke chapter 23, verse 33. When they all came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. If you are honest with yourself, for anyone else in history, death by execution is a failed life. You've done something that has been an abject failure. And death by crucifixion is the most shaming, most gruesome, and most humiliation, humiliating execution in all of history. Therefore, you must be a very good failure, the worst of all failures, you might say. It's a slow death by excruciating pain and suffering. It is a sign, a sure sign by the human yardstick of a failed life. But for God, Jesus' cross is his greatest success. They use different yardsticks. For God, when Jesus said, not my will but yours... That was when he obeyed God at all cost. Success equals obedience by God's yardstick. 
And then on his cross, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the only moment in all of eternity that God turns his back on his own son. But the result is God offering his forgiveness to every human being who has ever lived and whoever will live. The agony of abandonment seems like failure. But to God, it is a successful mission of fulfilled salvation. Once again, different yardsticks. You are not being asked by God to invade and conquer Canaan. At least I don't think so. You are not being asked by God to give up your life on a a cross. But may I list what I believe his yardsticks are for you this morning? Let me list three successes that I think God will smile on. And I think most of those around you, when they realize you got it right, they will smile on you too. The first is get your faith right. By God's yardstick, this is a very important success at the top of the list. Only a Christian like me can tell you that you should be measured by God's yardstick. So if you get your faith right, what I mean is have you placed it in God and in his son, Jesus Christ, who died on his cross for you? Some trust only in themselves. Others trust in gods or religions that cannot deliver. Jesus has proven to be God's one and only son. Trust him now if you do not trust him yet. Turn your life over to him now. This is an invitation. Some have called it the come to Jesus moment. Is your faith right? Have you placed it in Christ? And do you agree with what he did on his cross for you? Second, I would say the second success by God's yardstick is to get your values right. By meditating on, agreeing with, and doing what you know God desires from your life. I love this verse from Ephesians because it makes following Jesus uh, so understandable to me. It's just a few words. You see, the words that are used in Ephesians 5.10 is, Find out what pleases God, then do it. Find out what pleases God, then do it. Our highest value is in pleasing God, and that leads into actions. You know, two things had to change in my life when I became a, a brand new Christian late in high school. The, the, the first that I remember was I had to treat women, especially the girls that I dated, differently. I had to show them more honor and respect. But the next thing that changed was the fifth commandment, where it says, honor your father and mother. As a teenager, I had used my mother to get the things that I wanted. She was an old softy and loved me dearly. But also as a teenager, I feared my father. But I had never learned what it meant to honor either of them. To avoid the fear of my father, I was a good person. But that's not honoring. Do you know what it means to honor your father and mother? And the third success is to get your relationships right. When our values are right, we understand the relationships are are often what we need to get right next. We may fear losing our jobs, our skills, or our reputations, and we define that as failure. 
but we turn back to the relationships that will outlast all of those. Our jobs, our skills, our reputation. And we set our lives on on loving what God loves. What does God love? He loves people. He loves people. Do you love people? Yes, in your family, but beyond that. Do you love people? When faith and values and relationships are getting right, then the fear of failure does not control us. It is more, in the right sense, the fear of God. And all that is companionship and all that is called to us offers. Let's pray. Father, for those who have not gotten their faith right yet, if it is not Jesus, then who or what? Thank you that Jesus is just sticks out as the one and only, the only true God who is worthy of our faith and our obedience. And Father, those values, those values that we have followed most of our lives of pushing ourselves ahead, of being the most visible, of all these other things, you give us a set of values through your word that changes everything about us. And finally, relationships. I pray right now, Lord, if there are some relationships that are not right, we'd understand you love that person. And for some reason, the love that is supposed to be shown between us is not what it should be. Help us to go back and to do just that. Be involved in making those relationships right. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.